Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 17, titled, The Humble Will Make a Difference. Hello, good morning. How's everybody? It's better here than wherever you're from? Some cases way better. Welcome back to, uh, this is, we, we have seasons here. Every, everywhere has seasons. Here it's just warm, and then it gets warmer. And occasionally, just a rare occasion, it gets a little cold, and then it goes back to being warm again. But our seasons have to do with the people here. We have seasons. We have spring, and we have fall, and we have summer, we have winter, and it changes our congregation, and we just change our congregation now from the uh, multi multicolors to the either zero color, because you got no hair, or... Or just, you know, plain old good, good old white, right? <laughs> so we're glad for the color changes that we get here. People say the colors don't change in Texas. Oh, yeah, they do. Depends on what you're looking at. <laughs> I want to welcome you back uh, to another winter. If you're here with us for the winter, if you're only here for a weekend, we're glad you're here. purpose of our church, part of our purpose is to provide a place for people like you, to visiting from somewhere else. And you can come here and find a solid uh, church that believes the Word of God and follows God with all our hearts, and uh, that, that's such a blessing. I know when I travel to be able uh, to be able to find people and, and believers all over the world uh, who, who are doing the same thing, and so we're glad to have you be a part of us. We believe we don't know who you are, but we know that God does, and that he's brought you here so that we can fellowship together. We're in fellowshipping over the Word of God. We're in Luke chapter 17, and if you've been with us for a long time, you know this is now three and a half, nearly three and a half years we've been doing this, so we've got a long ways to go. And it's just taken that long because Luke wrote the longest, longest gospel, so it's just going to take a long time. Uh, Luke writes more in the New Testament than any other writer. He only writes two books, but he, verbiage-wise, he writes more than Paul. Uh, he writes more than John. Uh, he writes way more than Peter. Uh, most people don't realize that. Your biggest and most prolific writer in the New Testament is actually not a Jew. So it's a very unique, uh, very special person in that sense, and so... Uh, have, have a lot to learn from Luke, and Luke, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not, not to give him any more credit than uh, what he deserves. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17, verses, verses 1 through 10. I can get it, get it to work here. You don't want me to go without notes, I promise you that, because you, you don't have the time to, uh, <laughs> that that would require. Luke chapter 17, uh, so Jesus has been in a progression, if you've been with us, since chapter 9. He's been in the last three months of his ministry. So for, for, for two years, we've been in Jesus' last three months, basically. Chapter 9, it says he sets his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem, and he takes about three months to get there, and we have from chapter 9 all the way through the end of the chapter, just the last three years. Jesus leaves, his majority of his ministry was in the, in the Galilee area. Uh, he, he only went south for special holidays. The south was a place of lots of enemies, and he stayed out of there. But he's going there, headed there for the final time, of course, for his triumphal entry, his resurrection, ultimately his death and his resurrection. So, but we pick it up here as, he's, as he goes along. He is thronged by crowds, it tells us in chapter 12. Uh, literally uh, countless thousands are stepping on each other, it says there in the first verse. And, and he, as he goes along, he, he teaches. And here we have part of that teaching here in chapter 17. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Disciples, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks should come. But woe to him through whom they come. Don't be one of them. They're coming. Don't join in. It would be better for him. Notice, stumbling block, how bad is that, right? Well, Jesus apparently thinks it's really bad because it would be better for him, that person who causes a stumbling block, 
if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. That's some really harsh language there, isn't it? Think he's serious? I believe he is. Verse, verse 3, be on your guard. I would say, yeah, a millstone, you know, it's not a good necklace. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Notice, period, not, nothing else. If he sins seven times in a day and returns to you and seven times says, I repent, forgive him. How are you doing with that? I'm the son of God talking to you here. You listen. The apostle said to him, increase our faith. Can you hear him? He was like, I can't do that. We're going to have to have more faith, Jesus. We're just going to, you're going to have to dump a lot more faith on us because, wow, this whole not offending people and how serious that is, and then to not be able to, to, be able to forgive someone seven times for the same thing in a single day, we're going to have to be a big, miraculous spiritual move over our lives, and they're exactly right. The Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, though, you should say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come home from the field, come immediately, sit down and eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink? Of course. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded him, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, how are you doing with that? All the things? They ever commanded you, when you do all these things, you are to say, we are unworthy slaves, and we have done only that which we ought to have done. So we have what seems like a conglomeration of unrelated good teachings, but unrelated teachings, and really nothing could be further from the truth. These, these are all related, and they're all related under a single word. Humility. Humility. Jesus is throwing these teachings, he's not throwing them into a vacuum, he's throwing, or a void, he's throwing them into a... Uh, a place that is rife with false teaching and false thinking. The leaders of the theology of the day, the, 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 the ones who are describing how God is to be worshipped and how he's to be honored and what's true and not true, are the Pharisees and the scribes. Everyone looks up to them. I know if you've been in church very long, you know Pharisees and scribes are bad people. Boo, you know, everybody hates them. They loved them back then. They were their leaders. Johnny, one day, they didn't call their kid Johnny, but let's just say they did. Johnny, one day when you grow up, maybe God, if God so wills, you can become a Pharisee. That was their goal. They loved them. When, when Jesus says to them, your righteousness has to be greater than the Pharisees and Sadducees or, or scribes in order to, to get into the kingdom of heaven, they, they thought, we're all going to hell. No one can be saved. If these guys aren't saved, then no one is. They had a totally different perspective on the Pharisees than we have. And so we know them because of their, their characteristics come out here in the Scriptures. And, of course, they're the ones who demand Jesus' death and carry it out. We know them from that, but the people didn't know them that way. They thought they looked up to them. And so all their character traits and all their theology and all their wrong thinking was something that they wanted to, they had adopted themselves. So it's not just the Pharisees who were not thinking right. Everybody's not thinking right. They're, they're running the show. Every synagogue is their theology, it's their teachings. So, so you understand when Jesus says these things, he's saying it to people who, who are just, they're, they're blown away by this. So they were, the Pharisees weren't just stumbling, didn't, didn't just put stumbling blocks, they were stumbling blocks. They, they, didn't, they, had, they had no interest whatsoever in forgiving people. The whole issue of forgiving people, they're just like, that's one less person in heaven. 
Corrupted sinners, we don't want them up there. Let them sin. Why, why would you want them to repent? They wanted nothing to do with repentance. They were totally appalled by the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin that heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. That's the farthest thing from their imagination they could possibly think. Only the righteous, that would be them, are going to be there. And these sinners, what, what do we want to do with them? And they would never pray the prayer to increase our faith. Why? Why? Because they were already there, they thought. You know, when we get to heaven, God's going to move over on his throne because we're so, heaven's going to be so much of a better place because, because we're there. And they certainly never thought of themselves as slaves and unworthy. They thought in every way that they were worthy and that God was going to be patting them on the back for the rest of eternity. So Jesus throws this, these teachings into this corrupt theological and uh, practical uh, way of doing life. And he throws this in here, and it's such a mind-blowing thing to them. So, so we need to understand these are all teachings that have to do with humility. In fact, there are measures of humility, and we're going to see that. Measures, the way to measure humility in our lives. But to understand what humility is, the best thing to do is understand what it's not. It's certainly not pride. The, the chief characteristic of the Pharisees was pride. We're going to see this a little bit later the, 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 in, in this chapter. Uh, the, the parable of the publican, the, the, the tax collector, and the, and the Pharisee, just full of himself, totally. I'm, I thank God that I'm not like everybody else, that I'm wonderful and awesome, and that you uh, couldn't help but love me because I'm just so lovable and all that stuff. And so their characteristic is pride. And let me just say this to you. If you could swear off of anything, anybody have, make a list this year of the stuff you're not going to do? I know you were, what, your six days, seven days? How's that going? So, you know, we can just go ahead and have an invitation. You know, just everybody come up here and pray about all the stuff you shouldn't be doing. If you can swear off of anything in 2023, let it be pride. It will so help you. Cling to humility. Search for it. Love it. We had a guy years ago who was coming into church, and as he was walking up the steps, he was carrying his coffee, and he dumped the coffee all down the front of him. He's like, what am I going to do? And I just had a, you know, a few, few brilliant moments. I said, you know, it's a chance for you to be humble. Everywhere you go, you can have this you know, really nice outfit as long as everybody's looking from the side or the back. But they look in the front, you've got this big, you know, big brown stain down the front. And don't pour, I mean, if you have to, pour coffee on yourself. But search for ways to be humble. Search for it. Our society will not promote it. Your heart won't like it. But search for it. If you can swear off of anything, because I'm telling you, our God has a huge problem with pride. Look at what it says here. Proverbs, many places, but you can go many places. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. You don't need that in 2023. You don't need. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. You don't need that. Go unpunished. You, need, you don't want to be in the, in the line of the woodshed of the Lord this year. I'm telling you, it'll, it'll make your experience this year so much better if you will swear off of pride. Pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. And God is the one who sees to it that those things are carried out. See, he, he's, you're, you're asking him to be a good father to you. When you're, anytime, he's always a good father. You're going to walk out in pride and arrogance as a, as, a, as a believer, as a saint, as a follower of God and a truster of Christ. And I'm telling you, you're asking for the father to come after you. I'm just giving you fair warning. 
You want to make it better for yourself, swear off of pride in 2023 any year, but let's, let's, let's use this one that's in front of us as an example. Oh, so Jesus, of course, attacks the very, very topics. We've been through this in Luke already, chapter 14. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and who, who humbles himself will be exalted. But he says it not only once, he says it again. Chapter 18. And then here we have this whole passage that is, that is dealing nothing except with humility. What does humility actually look like? How do you measure it? it it's not a feeling. It, it's actually activity. So you tell me you're humble, it can, I, can, I can tell you if you're humble or not by the way you act. Jesus is going to give us that. So alongside your life, I want you to place these things that he gives to us. How, how are ways that we can measure humility in 2023? The first thing he gives us there in verse 1 is by how we restrain ourselves from causing other people to stumble. How are you doing with that? So it's, it's on top of your list? God, help me to be careful with the things that I say, the things that I do the places that I go, so, so, so that it's not just, it feels good to me, it feels fine to me, but, but, I, but I need to be thinking about others, Lord. I, I don't want to cause one of, these, one of your little ones to stumble. And, and just for sake of definition, little ones aren't just children. He's talking about children in the faith. So I can be 60 and be a child of faith. I can be 100, I can be 20, I can be 5. He's talking about those who are less mature than you are, and though you feel free to do these things or go these places or participate in these things, you need to not be concerned necessarily about what you want to do. Be concerned about them. What's, what's, what's best for them? How can I keep them from stumbling? Because the Scripture, again, he puts such a premium on it, doesn't he? Here's, here's the, the details. It is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything which, which, by which your brother stumbles. Is it wrong to eat meat? Of course not. Drink wine? Jesus drank wine. But if it causes your brother to stumble, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not a legalistic thing. It's a humility thing because you know you don't want this brother to stumble. Of what good is my enjoying my food or a glass of wine if I'm causing problems for a person who's in pursuit of Christ? What good is that? That, that's that's the humility, the arrogance and pride says, this is my life and I'm going to do whatever I want to. And if that's your perspective, well, like I said, you're asking for the Lord's discipline in your life in 2023 because he hates pride. He detests it. These little ones, you know, like I said, it's is not physical age, but a, but a spiritual age. And he gets so graphic here. It would be better for you to have a horrible execution. How horrible? You know what a millstone is? We just got back from Israel. We saw some that were, they were being used. We saw some that they've dug up from antiquity. About, about a four to five foot diameter stone that's about a foot to a foot and a half thick. Anywhere from one to two tons. Talk about a necklace. How fast would that go to the bottom? But, but here are the comparison. Jesus says, to, to have that hung around your neck and to be thrown overboard is better than you to cause one of these to stumble. Is, is that the level that you put stumbling, or is it just you call somebody to stumble, you're like, you know, darn, I wish that hadn't happened. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says it's very serious. Humility. Humility, the mark of humility, a measure of humility, is how we restrain ourselves from causing other people to stumble. He says in verse 3, be very careful. Be on your guard. Of course. It's that serious. The second thing. That he says, measure of humility in my life in 2023 is how quick I am and how eager I am to forgive. How are you doing? You can't wait till somebody offends you so you can forgive them, right? <laughs> are you like me? If, it, if everybody would just do the right thing, 
and not do stupid stuff, I wouldn't have any reason to forgive people, right? If they wouldn't, you know, treat me the way they treated me, I was rocking along fine. Me and Jesus were doing great, and now they did what they did, and now they've hurt only themselves. They hurt my relationship with the Lord, and, and it makes me even madder now because I've got to forgive them. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about an eagerness to forgive because, hear me, this is a measure of humility. Because humility understands that you're, as much as you're giving, you're getting much more. I, if humility knows, I'm being forgiven so much. So I'm so glad to dish it out because, because I'm just receiving over here. So seven times a day, I mean, I wished I could have a day in which God only forgives me seven times. That'd be a great day. I'll have the best days of my life. Every 15 minutes is more, you know, more or less average. More for you, though, right? we got to be forgiven. Why do we give? Because we, we get so much, we have to realize our weakness. We're, we're weak and in need of forgiveness, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. They're thinking like heaven people. We never get over that. You don't get strong in spirit. You don't poor in spirit and trying to get strong. No, you're, you're always poor in spirit, just, mo- just some of us don't realize it. Again, that's humility. And, and the measure of humility, one of those is the eagerness to forgive. I'm just so eager because God's given me so much, and, and I'm so undeserving, and, and, and so are you, because you shouldn't have done what you did, but you know I know what that's like, so let me forgive you. Eagerness to forgive. How, what is a measure of humility in 2022? The eagerness that I have to forgive, and then a third thing that Jesus gives, here, gives, gives us here, which is blended in with this one, the how aware we are of our weaknesses. How aware are you? of how weak you are. The disciples hear the first two things that Jesus says about not causing people to stumble and forgiving seven times if your brother comes back to you and says, I repent, and they immediately say, Lord, increase our faith. We're not up to this. This is way past us. If, if anything, if the disciples as compared to the Pharisees had anything going for them, they were nobodies, and they had nothing, and they had no background, they had no money, no influence, but they were, they were humble. They recognized their inadequacies. They recognized they didn't have it figured out. And that, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is what made them great. Their, their weakness, we're all weak. We're all complete beggars. That's the word here, blessed are the poor in spirit. That, that poor is not just I don't have enough or I don't have much. That means you don't have nothing. Poor is like poverty. It's, it's, the, the, word, the word literally defined in the Greek is the cringing beggar. A, a beggar who won't even look, just holds out his hand because whatever he gets in that hand is all he's got. And that's what we are to God. You will always be a cringing beggar. I'm not trying to take you down. I'm just trying to bring reality in your life. This is who you are. It's who I am. Everything that I get, if I've gotten anything, it landed in this hand and it came from God. And humility recognizes that. But pride says, oh no, I'm awesome. I'm the Pharisees. I'm going to move God over on his throne when I get up there. Heaven's going to be a better place. Because I'm there. Oh, no, it won't be. Oh, no, it won't. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They recognize their, their, their weakness. And Paul underscores this, as do the other apostles in many, all their writings. This is why, for Christ's sake, Paul says, I delight in weaknesses. How are you doing with that? Insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. Why? Because those are great things? No, they're not. But what they produce in me is sobriety and clarity of head. And I need that. Because now I know because of these things, they help me. They're like, almost like pouring coffee down your shirt. They, they, they help me realize that I'm weak. 
Because when I'm, when I'm good with that, then Jesus can be all that he needs to be through in and through me, which is, what am I here for? Am I here to feel good for the, I don't know, how many years God gives me? Or is it, am I here to feel correct about myself so that Jesus can be exalted in my life? I have to make that decision. And we have to examine ourselves, right? Galatians 6.1. Any someone who's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, because apart from the grace of God, there you go. You're no different, you're no better. So, so humility knows that. Humility knows it's just, it, just, it just happened to you because it could happen to me. Humility knows I can forgive because I'm getting forgiven. Humility knows that, you see. The measure of humility. These guys, Paul and, and, and these other writers, these, these apostles, they're the ones that Jesus is speaking to here. Notice it says there in verse 3 and verse 1, he's, he's speaking to his disciples, to his apostles. Jesus is speaking to men who, who you understand who they are. They're, they're about to change the whole world. They're about to literally turn the world on its ear. The Roman world was a pagan world ruled by very powerful, very evil people that had been and would be for probably another 300 years that way. And yet they, because of their faithfulness to God and their humility, are going to turn the world upside down with not any, no money, with no army, effectively no education. How? Because they were humble, guys. They were humble. The, the group is made up of one zealot. He's just part of a political group of the day. A nobody. Another one is the despised tax collector. He's less than a nobody. Matthew, four or five are fishermen, and the rest are just no names. I mean, names we know, but we don't even know what they did. They, just, they had time enough to break away and follow Jesus, and that's about all we know about them. They are nobodies. They are nobodies who became somebody because they surrendered their lives. They recognized they were nothing. They recognized they were, they were faulty. They recognized that they were puny. They recognized that if they would surrender their lives, that Jesus could use them and, and, and do what he promised to do, John 14, 21. Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. It's all about him and the Father, and you're trusting him. It's not about you because there's nothing about you that's significant. You're, you're nobody. These, these guys knew it. They knew they were nobody, but they became the foundation of the church. They became the authors of most of your New Testament. They, 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 they turned the world upside down within 300 years. Like I said, the Roman world was, had, been a pagan, had been a pagan world for 1,500 years. The Roman world became Christian in name, at least, within 300 years of these guys. They were about to turn the world upside down with nothing. They just knew that Jesus was Jesus, and they trusted him, and they surrendered themselves, and they remained nobodies the rest of their lives. But let me tell you something, they're, they're the biggest somebodies that there is. You know that, right? You know that. You know that the people that are claiming to be somebody are actually the biggest nobodies that there ever will be. You'll never know who they are. People today who are telling you that they're somebody, trust me, eternity will go without ever recognizing, for the most part. How do I know that? Because history, history proves that. So who were the big names as Jesus was speaking these, to these disciples? Who were the money, power, brokers, Military leaders, who were the names? Herod. The Herods were powerful. Anybody here named Herod? <laughs> Anybody here have a child named Herod? Grandchild. You read through the books of names, do you see Herod written in there? So he was all that back then. People did name their kids after him. Caesar, can, he, can you even, somebody was got extra credit for $5. I forgot to pay him, by the way, in the previous... So, can, so we know that Caesar was in charge of 
of Rome. Do you know which Caesar it was? So we know that Caesar Augustus was you know, in power when Jesus was born, but this is 33 years later. Who was that Caesar? Do you know? Extra credit. Five and a half dollars. It was Tiberius. But you didn't know that. Why? Because he doesn't matter anymore. He held all the power. He had all the money. He was it. All the news was about him. Whatever he did, wherever he went, and then he just went poof. Because he was actually a nobody, just like the rest of us. But he could never become a somebody because he never surrendered to Christ. On the other hand, I can name a lot of people named Matthew, who was also a nobody. Peter, John, where do we get these names? These guys. Paul, James. Where, where, where do these people come from? They, we, we like to think of them, they definitely were nobodies, and they were about to turn the world upside down, but they, the, they were the last ones to think that that could possibly be true. They just following Christ, whatever that turned out to be. And they, they became more than somebody. These are the most famous men in the world, by, by far. They, they set the standard for the morals and the principles and the laws for the entire Western culture. These guys are the writers of your New Testament. The basis for our laws here in the United States of America are based upon these guys. No noddies. They were convinced of it. And so God made them somebody. Such a critical lesson for us to learn, especially uh, really important uh, to understand this. Because what really is important is not what everybody thinks is. We just come off a season, Christmas. So Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, becomes flesh. That's up until that point. It's the biggest event since creation. And who knew about it? Mary Joseph. We'll give them, let's give them five shepherds. I don't know how many there were. Well, many. And we don't know how many wise men, but let's just say three. So the, <laughs> the whole thing happens. The whole thing. God comes and becomes flesh. And the only people that know about it have to be told about it. You've got to hang a star in the, in the skies. And the people that could see the star and even quote the verses where the Christ was going to be born, who lived seven miles in Jerusalem as a crow flies to Bethlehem, didn't change their schedules to even go and bother to see that the son, if that could be the Son of God. Now that is instructive. That is incredibly instructive about how off we can be about what's really happening and what really is true. And Jesus, just 33 years later, is hanging himself on the cross to reconcile humanity to God. So, so there can be a, a way that I can and you can be forgiven of our sins. And most of, up in, like I said, it, it eclipsed the, the virgin birth, right? It's the most important thing, and then he rises again to prove that he's the Savior. That's the most important thing that's ever happened in the whole world. And not even his disciples believed it. This is very instructive. So, so now we have these same disciples who are now going to turn the world upside down. And, and again, nobody knows it. It's not the news. So what does that tell you? What does it tell you? It, it tells you whatever is being said out there that's important, completely ignore it. That's what it tells you. Completely, absolutely. The news of the day is not the news. You can watch it, but just understand they have no idea what they're talking about. It's not what's happening. The names that are put out there that matter today, it's the whole thing, you know, all the Ukraine and all that stuff. I'm not saying it's not important today. I'm just saying we'll completely forget about it. 
no one will know anymore at all, even though it's, it's registered really high. Everything that registered high for them on those days and ever since then has never been the stuff. You know what the stuff is? God is fitting men and women for heaven today through the message of a gospel. He's fitting them and changing them from children of Satan to children of God through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the message of that that's being believed. That's the news, guys. You want to know who the movers and shakers are who are going to be remembered for all eternity? They're seated in this room. This, these are the power brokers. These are the real ones. And I know that because history proves that. Absolutely proves that. These absolute no-names, our world is being named after. And the big wigs and the big guys and the big ladies and all these other things, no one knows who they were because that wasn't really what was happening. God is using the nobodies. Why is it so important that we be humble here in 2023? Because that, or the, those are the ones that are making the difference. It's the humble. It's the ones that know. It's only God. Not me. It's not what I achieve. It's not the training that I get or the education I get or the efforts I pull off. No, it's my trust in Him. And if my trust in Him is as small as a seed of a mustard, amazing things. What amazing things, God. Can, can do through me, which brings us to our final point, and we're going to be done. How can I measure humility in 2023? Jesus tells us here, I can do that by recognizing that it's all by grace. It's all by grace, right? You too, even when you have done all the things which are commanded, you say, you, we are unworthy slaves. We have only, we done only that which we ought to have done. It's all by grace. We, we're only giving what we've been given. How many of you, is it true for you and it true for your kids or grandkids, you had to give them money so that they could buy you Christmas presents. <laughs> that was true for me. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money. None whatsoever. If I, if I had it, I spent it on fishing poles and shotgun shells. <laughs> I didn't have any money. So come Christmas, my parents have to give me. And, and so let's be honest. How many of you got given 10 bucks, bought your dad something for five bucks, and kept the other five bucks? <laughs> huh? bunch of liars i know you did because <laughs> that yeah we can't it's we have to be trained to be taught to, to think right but we don't have to be trained to think wrong do we oh same way it is with god when, when god asks you for your life you know if you want to follow me you have to lay your life down he knows exactly what he's asking for because he gave it to you all of it he knows the full measure of it he knows exactly what he's asking from you no no less no more when he asks you that, that you that you live in such a way so that the, the way he's gifted you can be a blessing to others, he knows what he's asking for, but he's gave you those gifts. He's going to hold you responsible for those, those things. When he asks you to be sacrificial about your time and your money and your other things, he knows what he's asking for because he's given you those things. To the last penny, he knows. Because everything you got is by grace. Everything. So, so we can say, as it says there, uh, we shouldn't say anything other than, yeah, we're unworthy slaves. We only did what we were told. We only just give them back what you were given. That's all. But, but the beauty of it all, and not to say that it isn't all beautiful, but, but the, the end result of it all is that, so, so I have nothing, but God gives me something, and then I give it back to him, and then he blesses me because, because I do that. And that's going to part of what's making heaven a beautiful place. I'm going to ask you, would bow your heads 
and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has to say. Is it top priority for you? Humility in 2023? Lord, if nothing, if nothing else is true, help me to be humble. Help me to be aware of those around me who may stumble by words that I say or places that I go or things that I do. And help me to rein myself in. Help me to be eager to forgive because I know how much I'm getting so to give is just, it goes without saying. And help me to realize how weak I am so that you can be strong in me. God, I pray that that would be our prayers this year, today and forever. Allowing you to be in us what only you can be, God. Thank you that you can use people like us, absolutely nobodies. You've done it before, you'll do it again. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.